Every time you write a check, you make reference to the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? 2,008 years since what? Since Jesus Christ walked the earth. All of history is divided into two, by B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which means Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. So everything, your birthday, is dated by the, the appearance of Christ on this earth. Every event in history is, is related to how it either came before Christ or after Christ. That's big. Jesus' birthday split the calendar in two. And so that is a big day. And this time of year, we're all confronted with the crib. And you remember, this is on your listening guide, that we said that cribs means the crucial relationship initiated by the Savior. And uh, this, this relationship reveals something about us. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. First thing, it reveals who we are, or maybe I should say whose we are. When you are confronted by this little crib, by this baby in the crib this time of year, it reveals who is sitting on the throne of your life. The way you react to this uh, manger scene reveals whether you're in charge or whether God's in charge. We saw Herod a couple of weeks ago. We talked about him. He bowed up. He was definitely thinking he was large and in charge of his life. And uh, he was bowing up against the, the cause of Christ. Last week, we talked about the, the wise men and how they came to see Jesus. And they had a totally different reaction to this whole manger scene. And so the, the, the crib this time of year reveals whose you are. It also reveals where you're headed, the direction of your life. But there's a third thing about the uh, crib of Christ that we're going to look at today. It, um, it reveals um, not only where you are, but it reveals... Or it magnifies, I was thinking of the wrong word, it magnifies where you are. Let me give you an example. If this is the first um, holiday that you have celebrated the, the birth of Christ without a loved one, it magnifies the fact that that loved one is no longer here. If uh, you have marital difficulties, doesn't Christmas tend to magnify those marital difficulties? If you have any type of pain associated with your life, it is it tends to be magnified, whether it's parenting issues or, or your relationship with somebody in your family. It all seems to be magnified by this crib of Christ at Christmas. And so a lot of people don't like Christmas. Well, I got to tell you, there's a reason why the crib magnifies where you are. It magnifies the reality of your life. And, and that reason is God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. You see, the pains and the difficulties of life are intended by God to remind us that this life is not all there is. The pains, God wants that to drive us to Him. The pains and discomforts of life, Satan wants us to, wants all of those things to drive us to substitutes for God. You know, alcohol and sex and drugs and power and fame and money. Satan wants us to go that direction. The crib of Christ wants us to go another direction. And you know, this whole relationship thing, because I, we, we talk about peace of Christ, the peace of God. And, and i got to let you in on a little secret today. You will never have the peace of God in, in Philippians. A lot of times I will pray that for people. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, there, I have a secret for you. You can never have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And the peace with God comes because of what Jesus Christ did. He came... But he didn't stay in the crib. He lived a sinless life so that he could eventually die for your sins. And so when you have peace with God, then miraculously, supernaturally, you have the peace of God in all circumstances. And there is nothing like Christmas morning 
Um, we do this at our house every year. We have, you know, traditions. We'll have a fire in the fireplace and we get up. I'm usually the first one up and then the kids get up and, and we have a rule. You don't wake mommy until she's ready to get up and, and she gets up. And then we have this, this great time with our family. There's nothing like Christmas morning when you have the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There's nothing like Christmas morning when I know that I have peace with Janie. I have peace with my children. But I will never have that peace if I don't have a relationship with the baby, with the crib, the one in the crib. And today what we're going to do is we're going to um, we're going to focus in on this whole manger scene. That's why I got this little scene here. And we're going to look at different aspects of it. And I'm going to hopefully uh, help you see what these things mean for you today in 2008. And I want you to realize that this gift, God's greatest gift ever came from Jesus Christ. This gift has three things that make it unique. Um, the first thing is that it's the most expensive gift that you will ever receive. It costs Jesus Christ his life. It's the only gift that lasts forever. Only gift you'll ever receive that will last forever. And it's the most practical gift that you can ever have. It is practical both in this life and it's definitely practical in the next life. And so this, this gift I want to look at today through the idea of this manger and, or this manger scene. And let's, let's look at a couple of things. Now, the first part is going to be kind of review because we looked at it last week, but let's look at the star. God provides a travel agent for seekers. The Bible tells us that God uh, commissioned this particular star to be a travel agent, a travel guide for some guys from the east, and we call them the wise men. And um, they developed this interest in looking for the wise men. We talked about this last week. They saw this star, and it led them to the Christ child. And when they got to Jerusalem, we talked about this with Herod two weeks ago, they asked Herod where the new king of the Jews had been born, and we know about that discussion, and Herod got, Herod got disturbed, and then all of Jerusalem got disturbed because their whacked-out king was disturbed. And so then after that conversation, we pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. Once again, the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Now, God had provided for them this remarkably accurate travel agent, this travel guide, kind of like GPS. They didn't need GPS back then, global positioning system, you know, because they already had a satellite. Their satellite not only traveled around the earth, their satellite moved from one point to another and it stopped where the Christ child was. And when they found that baby, they went in and we saw that they fell down and they worshipped him. Now, you got to think about this. Do, put your thinking caps on and not a chance. Jesus was, was born in this remote little stable or, or cave, this remote little village in a remote little country. There's no way they would have ever found Jesus without this global positioning system, without the Christmas star. The Christmas star right here represents God's gift to people who are, who are earnestly seeking him. And when you see that star, I hope that you'll look at it a little bit differently this Christmas. It symbolizes that God has always provided um, a way for seekers to find him, travel agents to find him. Throughout history, you will see this throughout the Bible, throughout history of, of our country, you'll see that God, when someone was seeking God, that he would provide a travel agent for them. And this is a promise from the Bible in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will search for me and you will search for me. And when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. But if we're honest today, we've got to admit that some of you um, feel a whole lot more like someone who's still seeking than someone who's found. Lots of folks are just wandering around and, and they're, they're kind of going in circles spiritually and they're not making any progress towards God. And these folks look into the new year and, and quite honestly, they shrug their shoulders and, and they think, 
man, there's not much prospect for anything to be any different. Well, if you're still seeking, let me offer you some good news. And if you're coming back, uh, it's kind of amazing to me when we have our 101 classes, how many people that join our church have been away from church and God for 10 plus years? Because we have a little form fills out getting to know you and, and it says, you know, I'm, I'm an active church member and, you know, I'm just moving my church membership or it'll say I've been away from the church for five years or 10 years or more. About half of the people that go through our 101 class check, I've been away from um, church for 10 years or more. Well, here's the deal. If you are a seeker, then God probably has already put a travel agent in your life. I want you to look around at your relationships. I want you to look for someone who just seems to be genuine in their faith in God. God probably already put them there, and they may have been there for years, and you haven't even realized it yet, that God has provided that travel agent for you. And if you're seeking, what have you got to lose by going, take your, your, your biggest secrets. There's a friend of mine years ago. He used to say, man, I've got, I've got questions that could stump the deepest theologian. I'm like, well, lay them on me. I don't think I'm a deep theologian, but man, if you got questions I can't answer, I'll go find the answer to them. We'll get you hooked up with somebody. You know, all that was, it was a smoke screen to keep him from going to church. Ah, oh, church can't answer this question, so I'm not going to go. All it was was an excuse. Most of the time, that's it. But but let me tell you this. If you have legitimate questions, we welcome those things. Find somebody in your life who's a little bit further towards God than you are. Ask them your hardest questions. But be intellectually honest enough that if you're going to ask those questions and you get a satisfactory answer, at some point, you got to quit with the excuses that are keeping you away from God. And you got to open up your life to Him. What do you got to lose if you use your travel guide this season. So the star, that's God's travel agent. We talked about that last week. Now let's look at something else. In the stable, and, and there's some arguments about whether it was a stable or a cave, whatever it was. There was some place where Jesus was laid in a manger, and, and the stable or the cave, whichever you want to, to talk about, where Jesus was born, um, represents that, that God sent Jesus to live in the real world. This is one of the coolest things about the Christmas story to me. God lives in the real world. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. Now, if you've heard the Christmas story before, what is another term that they use there? Instead of strips of cloth, they say what? Swaddling clothes. We'll talk about that in just a minute. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Now, I doubt very seriously that, that the stable or the cave where Jesus was born looked very much like the, the things, the scenes that we have around, you know, our nice, neat, um, quaint little, little scenes. It was not tidy. Um, it was crowded with smelly animals. That was their only place to, uh, for shelter. It was dark, it was damp, and if you think about it, it was probably rodent infested. I don't know if you've ever watched Dirty Jobs. That's one of our favorite shows to watch, and there's some skanky stuff that Micro gets himself in. Well, if you can think of some of the skanky stuff that Micro gets himself in on Dirty Jobs, that's where Jesus was born. Anybody in their right mind would not have a baby in that type of environment. Now, some of you, you put those thinking caps on earlier. Some of you are legitimate um, intellectual seekers, and, and you've, you've done this. You've said, okay, if God can provide a star, a moving star, 
how hard would it have been for God to find a room? You know, was there a Bethlehem Hilton or Super 8? Um, Holiday Inn Express? Come on. The, the, the moving star, that was this huge demonstration of supernatural power. If God can do a moving star, surely God can find a room. Yeah, He could have. But He deliberately chose not to. And so you go, oh, why is that? God made this strategic decision not to shelter His only Son from the harsh realities of life. He had no intention of sending His Son to be born into a fantasy life of, of the rich and famous. You think about Jesus' first breath. First of all, the, I mean, just the whole descent of God, someone who is not bound up in, in flesh and bones, allowing Himself to be put into a woman's womb and then to be born into a stable atmosphere, not stable as in, you know, uh, level, but as in a smelly, animal, rodent-infested place, um, the animals were probably not clean. If you've been around animals, you realize they're not. They didn't smell. They had not been to farm obedience school, farm animal obedience school, I doubt. Jesus was born into this environment, and, and then his clothes, you said swaddling clothes, it's the equivalent of rags. Why would God do that? Well, how many of you can relate to the rich and the famous? I went to England years ago when I graduated from uh, Baylor. There was a choir that was going to go to England, and, and if you were part of any of the choirs there, you could go. And there was a certain amount of money that it cost, and so I called my parents up and I said, Hey, I could go to England. And they're like, Great. And I said, If you'll pay for it, how about that be my graduation present? And then there's just silence. How much is it? You know, and I told them, there's more silence. And then mom goes, okay. And I'm like, yes! So I was in this choir and we, we traveled to England for two weeks. And it was awesome. We got to sing in castles and we got to stay with some people in England and we stayed in some hotels. Our first hotel had one bathroom on the whole floor. That was sweet. Um, and by, by bathroom, I mean bathtub. And so everybody on the floor bathed in that bath, if they'd bothered to take a bath, because a lot of people, they, they laughed at us having to bathe and use our hair dryer. That's really funny now. Um, our hair dryers every morning. But when we were there, we got to go to some of the coolest places that you've seen on TV in, in England. We got to go where the royal family lives. Now, did you know there's several residences for the royal family? And the tour guide, of course, she lived there in England. She had to check ahead to see where the royal family was residing on this particular instance to, to find out whether we could even go visit that particular castle. And, and if they weren't there, then you could go visit. But even then, I noticed there were some huge differences between me and royalty. Because when you went into a castle, it was roped off. Armed guards are standing in every room, making sure you don't go sit on the couch. It didn't look very comfy anyway. I'm thinking, dude, if I'm going to have a couch, I want a place I can, you know, have a good time and watch TV. I don't have TVs. It was roped off, it was cordoned off, and if you dared begin to touch anything on the other side of the ropes, the guards would put you in your place. And so it didn't take long for me to realize there, were, there was this big difference. They were born into royalty. You and I, we're commoners. They live in a fantasy life. You and I, we, we live in a real life. So did Jesus. He knew that we couldn't relate to the rich and famous. 
So he was born in this smelly place. He had humbler beginnings than anybody in this room. He was born into a real family. He worked a real construction job until he was 30. He lived in a real neighborhood with real people, had real friends who suffered real problems. Then he died a horrible death that was all too real for a, for a crime he did not commit. So when the Bible urges people who are followers of Christ to trust Him and to pour out our problems to Him, those of us who are Christ followers do so with the knowledge that that Christ, the one who was in the crib, can understand my problems. I'll give you some examples. Life without advantage, 33 years he lived on this earth. He had nothing. Poverty, he had not a dime to his name. They didn't have to probate his will because he didn't own anything other than the, the garment that he wore. And, and the guards that were guarding him at the cross, they got that. He was poor. Discrimination or oppression? Did you realize that before his second birthday, Jesus was a refugee in, in Egypt? Because God had warned Joseph in a dream that, that Herod was going to kill all of the babies in Bethlehem two years age of age and under. You remember all of that story? Because of that, Joseph and Mary take Jesus and flee to Egypt. So before his second birthday, he's a refugee. Um, rejection? Sure, he experienced it. Ridicule? <laughs> Part of his daily life. Abandonment from his closest friends at his deepest hour of need. Multiple times he saw the death of loved ones. Physical pain, more than you and I can possibly imagine. So the stable is God's statement to humans that Jesus Christ can identify with your problems. He's been through them. And he stands ready to help us with our problems. But there's a catch. We've got to be humble enough to admit that we need him. Then he comes in and he ministers to us through the pain and, and helps us get better and he makes our lives better for the experiences we've had. And this relationship, this, this whole Christianity thing, this whole Christmas thing is all about a relationship with a resurrected Savior. And uh, it's a relationship that can and will restore your soul. And, and so I want to read you a verse and then I want to ask you a couple of questions. Acts 3.19, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, I actually memorized this in a different translation, and it says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Your soul is refreshed. When was the last time your soul was refreshed? When was the last time you left Christmas with your soul refreshed? Uh, refreshed? Is that what you think of when you think of Christmas? Is Oh, it's going to be refreshing. That's not usually what we... That's not the word we use. Well, that's what Christianity is about, and that comes from a relationship with a risen Jesus. And it comes from a relationship with one who understands everything you've ever gone through. So, okay, we've seen that the star provides... God provides a, a, a travel agent for seekers. And uh, we see that the stable, God allowed Jesus to come into the real world. The third thing is the manger or the crib, and this is, this is so cool. I, I, I don't understand it, but it's God's way. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. When you look at me, you think ordinary, don't you? Yeah, me too. When I look at you, I think ordinary. <laughs> Luke 2, 7. 
She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. How many of you had a bassinet that you put your child in when they were first born? You know, because they're like these little midget things. And you put them in a, you put them in the baby bed and it's like, it's so big. And so we had the whole little bassinet thing right there by the, the bed. And, and when Caleb first came home and by the third child, you just throw them wherever they'll go. Um, cause like, you know, they're pretty resilient. But when Caleb came home, he was a little bitty thing and, and I had the bassinet by my side of the bed. Cause Jamie's a pretty hard sleeper, but you know, when you have a newborn, y'all remember this. And I would, I would rock him and he wasn't going to sleep. Little homeboy would not go to sleep. And so I'd pick him up and I'd put him on my chest, lay him across sideways, you know, and I'd pat on him. I remember my eyes being crossed and, and you'd look at him and those little eyes are just there going, it's three o'clock in the morning. You're going, go to sleep. You become demon possessed because your child won't go to sleep. And, uh, we had this cute little bassinet. We still have it and we've loaned it out. In fact, we've used it in the church nursery. We've, we've loaned it out to different people. Jesus first bed was not a bassinet. It was a feeding trough. <laughs> the only reason we know about this, this idea of a manger is because of this obscure little verse in, in the Bible that says that God's son was laid in one. But I want you to think about how that, that, that ordinary piece of farm furniture has been changed in our perception because God's son was laid in one. It, it takes on some new dignity, doesn't it? Because God's son laid there. That's quite a step up for a lowly piece of furniture. A manger, a crib, symbolizes what can happen to an ordinary man or an ordinary woman who makes their heart a crib for Jesus. It's a symbol of what has happened to thousands of people all over the world. Ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill people. One day these ordinary people saw that they had something missing in their lives. They saw that, that they were really lawbreakers in God's economy. And so they realized they were sinners. They were able to say, I'm a sinner, and they came to God. And they didn't hide from it. They didn't rationalize it. They didn't try to blame other people for their sinfulness. They admitted it. They hung their heads and they looked very, very nervously at their future because they realized there was nothing they could do to make themselves better. And then they did three things. This is on your listening guide. They admitted that they had fallen short of God's plan. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of God's plan. All of us are sinners. They said, I've messed up. I now see who I am. I see your holiness, God. I, I'm, I'm a sinner. And they were able to say that. Second thing is they cried out for grace. And we talk about this a lot. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. If you're speeding and you know you're speeding, what do you deserve? A ticket. When, when that uh, highway patrolman or police officer, officer of the law, when he has mercy on you, he does not give you a ticket because you deserved it. Grace, though, is receiving what you do not deserve. None of us deserves to be adopted into God's family. So these people cried out for grace, these people who are Christ followers. And then the third thing is they accepted Jesus' payment for their sins. There's not a person alive who, had, who deserves the grace of God, who deserves to be adopted into God's family. You can't earn it. All you can do is you can receive it. It's a free gift. And once they, once they receive this gift, Christians realize that their sins are dealt with, and so they begin to worship God not once or twice a year, but every day because they realize what they were 
They realize what Christ did and they realize what they can become. We worship Christians, Christ followers. We worship out of gratitude because I'm not where I once was. Praise God. I've made some progress and I'm not where I'm going to be in the future. Praise God I'm not that person I was in my past. Someday we ought to... I don't know if y'all do it. But someday we ought to just walk around with, with a microphone and hear the stories of where you've been. Because we've done some stupid stuff. We've done some rebellious stuff. We've hurt people. We've destroyed relationships. We've destroyed public property, some of us. <laughs> Thank God I'm not there. When Jesus takes up residence in an ordinary life, that life becomes extraordinary. And He comes inside you and does things inside you that you couldn't do on your own. And just as a feeding trough becomes extraordinary because there's a king there, an ordinary average man or woman who opens up their life to Christ becomes extraordinary. You become exceptional through responsiveness to God. God does to, to humans what Jesus did to the manger. All right, there's one more thing I want you to see about this nativity scene. We mentioned it a while ago, the swaddling clothes. <sighs> I, get, I get fired up about Christmas, not because of presents, because really, I don't care about presents. Um, I get fired up about Christmas because I think about the possibilities. Jesus was born to die. They wrapped Jesus like a burrito. Y'all remember first time? I mean, it took me a while to get the hang of wrapping him, wrapping Caleb so tight. He had some honking talons, you know, on his fingers, and he would he, they'd go, they'd scratch you, they'd scratch him. He's bleeding, you know, and all this stuff. We would wrap that little sucker up so tight that he couldn't get out, and it gave him strength, it gave him support, it gave him security. Um, and it's really, really interesting that that this term swaddling clothes is included in the stories about Jesus. Back when Jesus was born, think about this, traveling was difficult. And you were out in the elements and, you know, I've, I've ridden some motorcycles. I've been on trips with people who are on motorcycles. And, you know, if you're in a car and it rains, ain't a big deal. If you're on a motorcycle, raindrops at 70 miles an hour, painful. That's why you see those dudes stop someplace when it's raining. Back in Jesus' day, whether you were on a donkey or whether you were walking, you were just out in the elements. You were stuck. You just, you just had it. <laughs> you were just out of luck. And so folks would often wrap themselves in this shawl for protection from the elements. And this is, this is a reality because conditions were sometimes so harsh. And you think about mountains, you think about right now, if you were trying, because the, the climate in, in, uh, Israel is similar to our climate, actually a little bit north of here. It's very similar to that. So you take some of the mountains from New Mexico and you think about the conditions there. And if you want to be taking a trip in some of those conditions, you might very well die. And so they knew they might die and they wrapped themselves in these cloths to protect themselves, but also to prepare them. Because if you were in a foreign place when you died, they wrapped you in the swaddling clothes that you already had, and they threw you in a grave. So the swaddling clothes quite literally became your death shawl, your death clothes. And a lot of scholars believe that the swaddling clothes were Mary's shawl, Mary's death clothes. And if this is true then it's a foreshadowing of the whole reason that Jesus came to the earth. 
from birth, his mission was to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death, a substitutionary death for your sins and mine. Now, everybody here knows what a substitute is, right? Substitute teacher comes in for what? The regular teacher. Okay, all right, it's not a trick question. Substitute teacher, you know what those are like. A substitute player comes onto the field in, in replacement for the player who comes off of the field. Why in the world would Jesus die a sacrificial, substitutionary death in your place and mine? We say this all the time. It's because he'd rather die than live without you. So wherever you go this Christmas, you're going to be confronted with this crib. And it's going to reveal to us a lot of things about you. And I hope when you see the nativity scene that you'll remember the star represents God's travel guide for seekers. The stable, don't ever forget that God allowed Jesus to live in the real world. You got the, you got the manger, the crib. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. And then don't forget the swaddling clothes. Jesus came to die. I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, we talk about this all the time, that Jesus' tomb is the only tomb of a religious leader in the world that's empty. And uh, I saw a story this morning that a lot of baby Jesuses are getting stolen this time of year. And so they had priests out there putting GPS locators in their baby Jesuses so that they could, you know, then track them. Can you, can you see this? Turn right, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus never told us to remember his birth. He never told his followers to remember his birth. But he did say to remember his death. Because he wants to be on the throne of your life. So you, you got a choice this year. You can pass by all of these nativity scenes once again. They're everywhere. Or this could be the year that you say, I'm going to bow to that Christ child because of what he did.